Joe and Amber, the podcast. Busy, busy day in the world of Major League Baseball. Aces on the move. Contenders arming up. The Mets, well, the Mets being the Mets as we have all come to know and love. What's up, everybody? Happy Tuesday. Welcome to Joe and Amber here on ESPN Radio. We are presented by Progressive Insurance alongside my guy, Myron Metcalf. I'm Joe <laughs> Fortenball. We didn't get to do a pre-show. You and I didn't even get a chance to talk. I have to come sprinting off the Daily Wager set. How the hell are you doing? I'm good, man. How you doing? It's been great to watch you uh, doing all the things you're doing, man. I don't, sure. I don't, no, 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 no. I want to know, I want to know before we get into the trade deadline and all the big yeah. moves, how do you feel about Saturday night? You and I are two of the rare boxing fans here at the company. <laughs> We've been talking about Spence and Crawford forever, and we finally got it. We got it. And, and you know what? I think yes. there are a lot of people I know who were interested in the fight, and that shows me that it was the mega event I expected it to be. We don't have to see a rematch, but I think Terrence Crawford became a star, and that's good for the sport. Future is bright. Uh, but I, I love the event itself. Wasn't a great fight, but the event lived up to that. I'll throw one thing at you that I think is very interesting. And for boxing fans, they'll probably understand this, but some might not. This this was the mega fight of mega fights that we've all been waiting for for a while, right? Think back to uh, Pacquiao and Mayweather and how it took yeah. place too late in their careers. We got this when both guys were in their prime. I was at this fight, and I was also at Ryan Garcia, Tank Davis. I am, and I hate to say this, not considered high on the list of media credentials. I am up in what they call the nosebleeds. I am up on the upper ledge. I got a better seat for Crawford Spence than I did for Garcia Davis. And Garcia Davis up in the utter nosebleeds was completely packed, whereas this one wasn't. Can you believe that? Are you surprised at all? It's interesting. I mean, I do think Tank Davis is the draw. I think Huge Ryan draw. Garcia has a big following. Yes. One of the things I didn't like about the buildup to this fight is I think Terrence Crawford and Errol Spence said, we don't really have to promote. We're fighters. Our skills go. are going to sell a fight. And the reality is boxing has to sell itself, especially in this age. Those two guys didn't really do that. And I do think that hurt the fight a little bit. All right, he's Myron Metcalf. I'm Joe Fordenball. Welcome to Joe and Amber on ESPN Radio. Let's get to the big news. The Houston Astros and the New York Mets doing business on MLB trade deadline day. Justin Verlander heading back to the Houston Astros. The reigning American League Cy Young Award winner. The team announces it Tuesday. Outfielder Drew Gilbert. He's the Astros' best prospect, according to MLB.com, is headed to the Mets in the deal, as is minor league outfielder Ryan Clifford. So here we go. The odds here in Las Vegas have been adjusted in the American League. The Tampa Bay Rays, for a while, have been your favorites. That is the case no more. Houston plus 330, meaning $100 bet returns $330 in profit. Tampa Bay second at 4-1. to one. They're tied with the Texas Rangers at 4-1. to one. And then the Baltimore Orioles at plus 550. They made a move with the St. Louis Cardinals to pick up Jack Flaherty today. More on that in a minute. But Houston, team to beat in the American League right now with the Verlander acquisition? Feels like it. I mean, that's a team that you can always count on in the postseason to add a guy obviously they're very familiar with. And as much as people are talking about what happens in 2025, figure that out later. I mean, I think Justin Verlander is still a top 15 pitcher. I think he's top 15 in ERA of all pitchers who have had at least 80 innings pitch, right? I mean, so this is a guy who can still bring it, can still help you win games. I think he's given up one home run in his last seven starts. So this is a huge acquisition for Houston. Getting a guy they know very well, it definitely, to me, makes them the favorite in the AL. I mean, Verlander's 40, 
And it feels like every year for the last few years, we gave him the Brady treatment where it was like, yeah, but he's eventually going to fall off. He's eventually going to fall off. And they make this move, and it's like, I don't know. It's like we were talking about on Daily Wager a minute ago. I, I'm, not, I'm not betting on that. I'm not betting that he's going to fall off. I'm a Phillies fan. I watched what happened last year. Like, the guy can pitch, and maybe this is the year it falls off, but there's nothing to indicate that that's what's going to happen. What's interesting to me about Houston is that when you look at the team as currently constructed, they're plus 59 in run differential. Now, that's healthy. That's very good. But plus 59 puts you on par with the Chicago Cubs, who are plus 56. Cubs are a nice team. They've won 10 of 13, but the Cubs aren't viewed as an elite contender in the NL. And run differential is a very, very good indicator this time of year of how good a team is. You've got some wins. You've got some losses. Obviously, some teams play above expectation. Some teams play below it. Some teams get involved in a lot of one-run games. This is a team that is on par with the Chicago Cubs, according to run differential. So I don't know. I don't know if I see him as the favorite. I think people are overlooking the Texas Rangers. Top three in run differential, blowing away the rest of the field along with Atlanta and the Rays. They acquire Max Scherzer. What's to say they can't be the team? Oh, they can. What, best offense in the AL, right? I mean, that's a team that's explosive. Uh, You add a guy like that, it's going to be competitive. I think this is one of those years where – you look at maybe five, six teams where you're like, I don't know how much separation there really is between them. And I think that's why adding a guy like Verlander is so important because like this, this will be one of those postseasons where it will come down to that one pitching performance. It will come down to that one guy who can maybe be the difference maker. I think that's why this move is so significant. You think Steve Cohen is regretting buying the Mets? I mean, <laughs> good God, man. Like this isn't this year one of his tenure, or did he own them last year as well? I mean, look at this: Scherzer and yeah. Verlander both gone. They're fifty and fifty-five. They're behind the damn Marlins. They're six games behind the Marlins, <laughs> and they're packing it in. Like what? What is it about this franchise that puts them in a position where, despite all the talent and all the money, no one can produce? Is it like Texas football, where you bring in all this yeah. talent and everyone's really comfortable, and they're just not hungry enough to go win games? It feels like it. I mean, because. To me, this is different than just a guy who spends a lot of money on the team and then the team fails, right? This is Scherzer to me and Verlander giving up on the vision that Steve Cohen said he had. And I don't know what that does for free agents in the future, but why would you want to go there? If this guy is making this kind of sharp left turn on the vision to move forward and try to build a contender, why should anyone believe him and come as a free agent beyond this? So it's just a a ridiculous moment, I think, for that franchise. They got a lot in return, though, for both guys. Got a lot of young talent. But they didn't get the run that everyone anticipated when they spent $86 million on a couple of pitchers who are now elsewhere. I mean, they're coming off a 101-win season. They have one of the highest payrolls in baseball history. They're not even a contender. That's the thing. It's one thing if it's like, well, the Mets are a few games back of Atlanta. Atlanta's nasty this year. Atlanta is absolutely filthy. That's okay if you're trailing them. Compete for a wild card spot, get in the postseason, and then turn it over to your aces. But they're not even close to doing something like that. I mean, Max Scherzer's gone. Justin Verlander's gone. Tommy Pham is gone. The list goes on and on with these guys. So I don't know. If you're a Mets fan right now, I don't even know if you're disappointed in this because you've seen it coming for a while ultimately. Have you not? Yeah, and you also know the Otana sweepstakes is over too, right? There's no way he comes there. Oh, boy. Yeah, that's a great point. Before, that thought's gone now, right? (laughs) So you don't even have hope. You don't even have hope. You have to start looking at the grades every single year when it comes to the prospects, (laughs) kind of like how they do things in Pittsburgh. That is not where you want to be. Oh, man. All right, one MLB superstar actually stayed put at the deadline, and there's someone out there that thinks this set his team back years. 
He's Myron Metcalf. I'm Joe Fortenball. This is Joe and Amber on ESPN Radio. This is the Joe and Amber Podcast. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Alongside Myron Medcalf, my name is Joe Fortenball. This is Joe and Amber on ESPN Radio. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. Max Scherzer was traded from the Mets to the Texas Rangers. That happened yesterday. Justin Verlander was traded from the Mets to the Houston Astros. That happened today. Jack Flaherty from the Cardinals to the Orioles, who very quietly are putting themselves into a solid position to make a postseason run. And then there was the move that didn't happen. Byron, perhaps the biggest move that everyone was looking at for the last few weeks. Shohei Otani in the final year of his deal with the Los Angeles Angels. They currently find themselves today four and a half games out of the division. They find themselves out of the playoff picture with plenty of time to go, but that's where it stands. And they decided that they were going to stick. They were going to try to make some moves. They were going to try to bolster the roster and make a run to convince Otani he should stay. ESPN MLB analyst Eduardo Perez, let's just say he didn't necessarily agree with that decision-making. It's to the point where I think Artie Moreno, as the owner, is making this executive decision saying, I'd rather keep Shohei now and hope that if we continue to add pieces, when you have 17 players on the I.L., including Mike Trout, I just don't know how they're going to be able to pull it off. And if they do, this is setting back the organization years. I'm talking about more than six or seven years with the kind of talent that you would have been able to get for Shohei Otani. So you got this generational talent in Otani, but the end of his contract is approaching and you have to make the decision. Do you stand and try to make a push with him and hope to convince him to come back, risking everything in the process? He could leave, you get nothing in return. Or do you deal him at the deadline and reset for the future? It's a tough gamble. Do you think they made the right decision? No, I think you got to trade Otani just because you don't have any certainty in the offseason, right? Unless you have some strong indication, and no one said that yet, um, that he wants to stay, I think you have to get something in return. Like Major League Baseball is like other sports right now. It's either win or rebuild. You're either contending or you're rebuilding. There's no in-between. And it's like the Angels are saying, well, we're content with possibly being somewhere in the gray. And I don't think that's a smart move. You can knock the Mets for what they lost. They got a lot of young talent in return. You look at teams like the Reds and the Orioles and what they're doing with young prospects. You're either going for it or you're rebuilding with young talent. They're doing neither with all the injuries, not trading Otani. I just don't know why you hold on to a guy who might go elsewhere and leave you with nothing in return. 
you know, the mindset is probably like we're going to be aggressive and we're going to make this push and hopefully we make the playoffs and we're going to convince you to stay. But think of it like this. You're third in the AL West. You're four and a half back of Houston and Texas. Your team is telling you, hey, we want to keep you here. We're going to get aggressive. We're doing that for you. If you're Otani, you're like, all right, all right, I want to compete. I like the sound of that. They go out and they get Lucas Giolito. Texas goes out and gets Max Scherzer. Houston goes out and gets Justin Verlander. Like, if you're Otani, you're in a worse situation today than you were yesterday. After these deals go down, you got to be thinking to yourself, so this is your idea of aggressive? The two biggest moves happen within our division to the two teams that are currently sitting in front of us. We might not even get past those guys. Like, if that's your big swing, if that's your big pitch to me as to why I should stay, if you couldn't close on something better than Lucas Giolito, and it's not to knock Giolito or Grichuk or Crone, who they brought over from Colorado, but that's not the splash that Scherzer or Verlander is. Like, right there, that could tell Otani all he needs to know. Even when they go for it, they can't get it right. Yeah, and I I don't know why Artem Moreno didn't pull the plug unless – He's just doing it for pride. Like, doesn't want to be the guy who traded Otani. Uh, Boston Red Sox go 17 consecutive seasons without playing a winning season after they trade Babe Ruth. 17 years in a row, right? 1918 and 1935, they don't have a winning season. And I think that's what you're risking, potentially. You have a guy who, right now, you're not a contender that you should be. And if you tell me, well, Mike Trout will be back, well, somebody tell me when. Guys, he's three consecutive <laughs> all-star games. He can't play a full season. To, to me, Joe, he is the Kawhi Leonard of baseball. Yes, the talent is there, but you can't count on it. So if you're Otani, how do you go, this guy is going to be my partner in crime when he can't stay on the field? I just don't know what the Angels have done to convince Otani that he should stay put. And I think you had to trade him, get something in return, and try to rebuild. The other thing that's surprising, sh- it shouldn't say surprising because the Angels haven't really run their organization very well for years. So it shouldn't come as a surprise that they're mishandling this. But the other thing that stands out is this is year six of Shohei Otani with the Angels. And it feels like at the absolute buzzer of year six is when they finally decided to get aggressive and make a push. Like, where was this last year, two years ago, three years ago? Where was all of this right up until the last possible minute? I mean, you, you, we, we talk about this with the NFL all the time. The best contract in all of sports is the rookie quarterback deal where the rookie quarterback turns out to be a franchise guy. Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts, because it allows you to spend everywhere else and you get a discount at the most important position in sports. Well, look at this situation. You have Trout, you have Otani, and and all these years, this is when you should have been getting aggressive right up until now. Now is the decision where they say, okay, now we're going to push the chips in. Right at the exact moment when Houston goes and gets Justin Verlander back and Max Scherzer lands with the Mets. It just feels like they've been behind the eight ball with their decision making ever since they landed this guy in an unbelievable sweepstakes. Yeah, if this were a relationship, Otani's moving truck is in the driveway and the angels are bringing flowers on the table, right? They're like, hey, look at these roses I just got for you. He's like, listen, man, I've already loaded my stuff. It just doesn't make a lot of sense, especially in the era of the superstar where players have never had more power and influence than they do today. And these guys look around and go, I want what they have with the Dodgers. I want what they have uh, with the Astros and all these other teams that are contending. There's a lot of ego involved, and you have to find a way to give a more compelling argument than what you've done so far if you're the Angels. It feels like Arden Moreno said, hey, listen, man, I think Mike Trout will be back. We got some other young talent. Let's see what happens. And if you're Otani, I don't see how you could think that this is the place where you should spend the rest of your career. I mean, it seems like professional athletes are looking for three things in no particular order. 
They want to win. They want to make money, and they want a nice lifestyle. That's why yeah. it's tough. Like, like if some teams in baseball, like the Oakland A's, don't spend, as a result, you're not going to be able to put together a winning roster. You know, there are other teams out there that don't necessarily win. That's why the New York Knicks have had some problems over the years trying to recruit guys. Like Kevin Durant famously not even really taking the meetings with the Knicks, but landing in the city of New York anyway. And then there's lifestyle. You're in Minnesota. You know it can yep. be difficult to recruit young guys to come yeah. want to play in a cold-weather environment if Miami or Los Angeles yep. or Houston or any of these cities are out there trying to recruit. So the Angels have the lifestyle. They clearly can spend the money, but they can't deliver on the winning. It just seems inept. And right now, you look at the wild-card standings in the American League. Tampa Bay's your number one wild-card spot. They're plus yep. 139 in run differential. That's top three in baseball. That's your number one wild card. The Houston Astros, who just landed Justin Verlander, are number two in the wild card race. And then you have the Toronto Blue Jays, who are 11 games over 500. Following that is the Red Sox. They're sellers, so you could probably get past them. Then it's the Angels, who just moved ahead of the New York Yankees. I mean, what's the best case scenario here? Do you see the Angels even making it to the playoffs? I don't see it. And again, what an indictment of the organization. If you're all tiny and you go, okay, the Red Sox aren't good. These aren't those Red Sox, right? That's an average Red Sox team. The Blue Jays have been up and down. Yankees dealing with all kinds of injuries. If you can't find a way to get a spot in this climate, then when can you? And I think that, to me, is what's got to be so discouraging, is it feels like there's a chance and you can't get over the hump. Why stay? I mean, who's, who's more bummed out, Mets fans or Angels fans? I, I think probably Mets fans because they yeah. they thought they had a just angrier, <laughs> just you know the I mean? natural anger in the DNA. Yeah, Otani's <laughs> yeah. like Mets fans are like you know with somebody they know is getting ready to leave them, you know, and they're just trying to be nice and say all the right things. But she's leaving no matter what you do, <laughs> and, and I and I think they understand it. I mean, it feels like Otani to the Dodgers is inevitable because if he likes the lifestyle yeah. on the West Coast then that's going to be the play, right? Because if you're looking at the Yankees right now, how do you feel about them? I mean, talk about – I wouldn't go so far as to say dumpster fire, but 55 and 51, they're 21st in run production right now. And I know Judge yeah. has been out for a lot of the season, but it's not like this is Judge and a bunch of Oakland A, AAA call-ups. It's yeah. still supposed to be a solid lineup in the Bronx. Yeah, the only reason we're not talking about the Yankees is because we spent so much time talking about the Mets. I mean, that's the reality, <laughs> right? Like, if the Mets weren't the train wreck that, that they are right now, we'd be talking a lot more about the Yankees. All right, so you got a situation today. Baltimore makes a move. They bring in Jack Flaherty from St. Louis. St. Louis, another team that thankfully has watched so many other teams play to dumpster fire level. They're kind of going under the radar. But in the Midwest, man, that is very clear, especially with the Cubs exceeding expectations now. To the NFL we go. Aaron Rodgers might just have given us a glimpse into his future plans with the Jets. That's going to be next. He's Myron Metcalf. I'm Joe Fortenball. This is Joe and Amber on ESPN Radio. This is the Joe and Amber Podcast. I mean, I feel like I say this every day, but we're talking about Aaron Rodgers every single day. Not because we're forcing it. He's just giving us stuff to talk about every single day. I, don't, I didn't realize he was required to meet with the media 365 days a year to provide commentary. He's Myron Metcalf. I'm Joe Fortenball. Welcome to Joe and Amber on ESPN Radio. We are presented by... Progressive Insurance. Save when you bundle motorcycle, RV, and boat insurance. Visit Progressive.com. Myron, AR was in front of a microphone yet again today. 
And he was asked a question essentially about the Hall of Fame game, which is taking place in Canton, Ohio, Thursday night. It's his Jets taking on the Cleveland Browns. And essentially there was a question about has he started thinking about his eventual Hall of Fame induction one day? Take a listen to what he had to say. Oh, I don't know about that. I mean, that's going to be a while. You know, I'm going to play a few more years and then be five after that. So who knows what's going to happen in eight or nine years. It's a long way off. Lot to dissect here. What is the first takeaway for you from that comment? Because I think mine might be different than everybody else's. Go ahead. Uh, I don't care that much because I just don't <laughs> think that he can make that assessment. Like, we're getting ahead of everything. Like, we have to see how this year goes. We can't discount last year. And he didn't look like the two-time MVP from the previous couple of seasons. <clears throat> He's got Nathaniel Hackett as his offensive coordinator, a guy who didn't call plays in Green Bay and couldn't help Russell Wilson do anything in Denver. And I just think there are a lot of question marks uh, around Aaron Rodgers. So I think if he has a great season, if the Jets are contenders, certainly I could see him wanting to play multiple <clears throat> years. But if he comes out and he stinks and, and the team is third in that division or something like that, does Aaron Rodgers stick around? No chance. So I think there are just a lot of unknowns that even he can't address at this point, Joe. I think my favorite part of that was he said, oh, I don't know. And he talks about how he might play three or four more years, whatever it is. Yeah. But then he yeah. immediately goes to, and then it's five years after that. Just, I'm a first ballot guy, not even <laughs> yeah. considering the idea that I would go in at any other time. Because five years is the minimum to get in, but that means you're going to be yeah. a first ballot guy. Talk to T.O. It wasn't five years. It was a few more. No. Now, I'm not saying he's not a first ballot guy, but when he does the math, he makes it very clear yes. what he thinks about his career and where he thinks it's going, and he's probably right. I mean, he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's a four-time MVP. You make an excellent point about how it goes this year and whether or not it continues. I mean, do you think it's the Jets and that's the end one way or another? I mean, we saw Favre go to the Jets and then ended up in Minnesota, but that's because he kind of wanted to go to Minnesota right away, but they wouldn't trade yeah. him there, obviously division rivals, so he goes to the Jets and then works his way around. Do you think there's a chance we see him in New York? He's got enough left, but the organization doesn't perform well, so he decides he wants to try something else. I think a guy at this point with all we've seen over the last couple of years, who knows where he ends up? I mean, I wouldn't shock me. If he went elsewhere, yeah, for Brett Favre, worked out, almost led the Vikings to the Super Bowl. Obviously, Brady moving on, wins the Super Bowl with Tampa Bay. But those are anomalies for the most part, right? I don't know that we can use those as, like, examples of what could happen with Aaron Rodgers. Again, he did look great last year. You can say no Devontae Adams, uh, you know, all the other challenges that maybe they had, some injuries. But I do think this is a Jets team that should help him at this stage in his career. I don't know how great he has to be if that defense is the best defense in the league. Quentin Williams, Sauce Gardner, everything they're able to do. Uh, and I think you got guys like Garrett Wilson and some of the targets he has. So I think he's in a really good place. But that division is tough. The AFC is tough. And he has to perform. And I don't know if this is a guy who had a rough year last year, Joe, or a guy who his best years are behind him. And we're just going to see more of that in New York. I mean, you and I are fight fans, and we know that yeah. one thing that's extremely dangerous to hear from a fighter is that they're contemplating retirement. Like, the second yeah. you're contemplating retirement as a fighter, you might as well get out of the octagon or the ring or whatever it is because your mind is not where it needs to be for that type of sport. That sport is it, it, vicious, and I'll just leave yeah. it at that. But your mind has to be in that killer-be-killed mentality. Not literally, but that's how you have to be thinking because you're in there trying to protect yourself, trying to work your way through 10, 12, 5 rounds, whatever the sport may be. You know, Rodgers coming out of his darkness retreat 
talking about how he was close to retiring, that really stands out because you're you're not just thinking about, well, do I want to be back with the Packers? Well, do I want to play one or two more years? You're thinking, do I even want to play at all? And by all accounts now, he's leading, he's motivated, he's driven, but there was a part of him that was thinking whether or not he should hang it up and whether or not he's been able to completely suppress that and eliminate it. That's going to remain to be seen when you open the season with Buffalo. And in the first six weeks, you're going to play Kansas city, Dallas, Philadelphia at Denver. I mean, if they get off to a two and four start before the bye, there's going to be a lot of chatter around everybody in that organization. There will be starting with Robert Sala, right? I mean, this is a guy who has to prove that he can run, you know, all of these pieces he's been granted to try to compete. Here's another take, though, on what Aaron Rodgers is doing. You know, I grew up in Milwaukee, saw Aaron Rodgers a lot, listened to him a lot. <laughs> There's a part of me that says, this is a guy who's taken a lot of pressure off everybody. The guy goes at Sean Payton the other day and the comments that he made about Nathaniel Hackett. The guy's going to Knicks and Rangers games when he first arrives. And now here he is saying, you know what? Maybe the story is I might retire in a couple years. And all of a sudden that becomes the storyline, the narrative. I think he is smart about (laughs) understanding how much pressure he can take off a team that has young guys like Quentin Williams and Sauce Gardner and Garrett Wilson. And all of a sudden, all of the attention is on him. And you know what you couldn't do last year? Put that on your quarterback and Zach Wilson because everything was so negative around him. So I do think Aaron Rodgers is strategic in some of this as well and how he deals with the media and understands that they'll run with anything he says. And if that takes pressure off the other guys – He's achieved his goal. He's like a modern-day politician, right? Every day you say something more wild, and everyone forgets about the previous day. Like, there was a day I sat down with my wife, and I'm not taking sides on the political aisle. Everyone just calm down and have a laugh. But if you sit back and you look at every story that comes out every day from both sides, you you go a month or two, you look back and you go, my God, do you remember how many stories we were getting all worked up about that are just 20 stories ago? So that's Rogers. Every day, let's roll out a new thing. Today, I'm going to defend Hackett and go after Peyton. Today, I'm going to talk about being a Hall of Famer in five years. Uh, Today, I'm going to talk. I mean, eventually, he's going to go after Belichick and you just keep it rolling. Tomorrow's um, talking about aliens. Tomorrow, he's going, listen, let's talk about the aliens, man. All right, why are we talking about the aliens? And there's be- another point. We just got multiple people telling us there's alien life, and we're we're, we're <laughs> over that. We are already over that, and we're on to the next thing. Like I I always felt like once we started to get confirmation of that, that might matter, and it it trended for about 25 minutes, but there was other stuff yeah. that day, and now we're on the you know the Mets. Yeah. <laughs> that, 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 a, a country that uh, made Independence Day a blockbuster for us not to care. 30 years later, 20 years later almost, whatever it is. It's, it is bizarre, you know what I mean? Well, once Will Smith's going up there slapping people, it's changing That's everything it. in terms of how we view, view that role. He's Byron Metcalf. I'm Joe Fordball. This is Joe and Amber on ESPN Radio. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. In terms of the hierarchy of the AFC East, I want to ask you about the Jalen Ramsey injury in just a second. But one last thing to your point on that Jets defense and what it could do for him. If you go back through Aaron Rodgers' history in Green Bay, the best years they ever had, where when he had those Dom Capers defenses, he had an elite defense that year that they beat the Steelers and won the Super Bowl. And after that, it's not to say that they were all terrible. He just never had a real top unit backing him up for the majority of the time that he spent in Green Bay. And you give him that unit now, smart decisions, protecting the football, something he does very well. 
he can manage games for you. Not to say he's a game manager, but there are quarterbacks that can't handle having great defenses. They can't let yeah. the defenses go out and handle their business. They can't give them the four to five minutes they'll need on the sidelines by picking up a couple first downs late in the game. You know, you see this all the time with rookie quarterbacks. They'll stumble, and then the defense has to go right back out there. They play 35 minutes, and they end up completely gassed late in the game. He can do all those things to protect an elite defense. So if this is one, it could be the best he's had since Dom Capers. The Jalen Ramsey injury in Miami. That's a Vic Fangio-led defense now. That was the type of unit that if they improved, Miami was going to be nasty. How much do you think that hurts the Dolphins' chances in making a serious push in the East? It hurts them tremendously. You hate to see something like that happen in training camp. Um, Looks like he's going to be out most of the season. So I think it does uh, hurt that team. But they're a pretty good unit last year, and I think they'll continue to be solid. It comes down to Tua's health, right? Like, we got to understand where Tua is, how long he can stay on the field. Because that feels like a situation where you don't ever want to see anything happen. But if something happens to Tua, it's over for him, right? So I think that quarterback situation is the biggest storyline for them. Well, speaking of storylines, NFL two-a-days continue here on ESPN Radio, and there's been a lot of storylines, mostly in management and ownership, when it comes to the Washington Commanders. But now it's time to break down what the season is going to look like for Ron Rivera's crew. That's coming up next. He's Myron Metcalf. I'm Joe Fortenball. This is Joe and Amber on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. This is the Joe and Amber Podcast. All right, some of these are easy. They come with a lot of optimism. You have conversations about the Super Bowl or making it to the conference championship game, possibly an MVP conversation. And then there are ESPN Radio two-a-day segments with teams like the Washington Commanders. Although Commanders fans have to be stoked, Daniel Snyder, no longer the owner of the organization, that in and of itself is a win. So here we go. He's Myron Metcalf. I'm Joe Fortenball. This is Joe and Amber on ESPN Radio. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Myron, I'm going to give you all the gambling information you need to know about the commanders, and then we'll break them down. 80-1 to to win the Super Bowl. That is fifth worst in the National Football League. 40-1 to to win the NFC. 13-1 to to win their own division. It goes Philly, Dallas, New York, and then the commanders. Their win total is 6.5 which means if you bet the over, you need seven or more wins to cash your bet. If you bet the under, you need six or fewer wins to cash your bet. To make the playoffs, they are plus 280, which means a $100 bet will return $280 in profit. Essentially, they are a huge underdog to make the playoffs. So what do we make of the commanders in what I believe is year three of the Ron Rivera experiment? I think every team that has a third or fourth-year quarterback they're not sure about, look at the commanders. You have to get it right at that position. And if you're not certain, you got to do something drastic because I think they are the byproduct of all these errors they've made at the most position, most important position on the field. Sam Howell, you bring in Jacoby Brissett, capable backup, but who's going to win you games? It doesn't seem like this is an offense where even though you got Terry McLaurin, who gets him the football? Five of their eight losses last year were by nine or more points. So when this team lost, they got stomped. They weren't in those games, so I'm not sure what changes. Uh, obviously, defensively, Deron Payne and Montez Sweat, the Chase Young situation, uh, that's going to be a challenge. Just hasn't been able to get healthy enough to live up to the hype. And I think just a lot of question marks. I think Ron Rivera last year on the hot seat. This year, I don't see how the commanders make some vast improvement to allow him to keep his job. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, but they're just in a tough spot because at the most important position, they just continue uh, to make mistakes, man. 
Yeah, to correct something from earlier, Rivera entering year four, not year three. That one's on me. And to your point on him, you got a new ownership group here. They're going to want to put their stamp on the organization. They're going to give them this year, but if they don't see something, they're obviously going to clean house and they're going to start fresh. Not the same way Matt Ishbia started with the Phoenix Suns, but that's what these guys want to do. They're billionaires. They've had a lot of success. They buy a team. It's a new toy. They want to get involved. They want to take it for a drive. So Rivera's going to need to have a big season if he wants to come back for a fifth campaign. In the eyes of Vegas, these guys are favored in only two games this season. 17 games, they're going to be favored twice. One of those is week one when they're hosting Arizona. The other, as of right now, is week five when they host the Chicago Bears. And that shouldn't be a cakewalk based on what Chicago's done this offseason. So it could be a very long season for the Washington Commanders. Keep this in mind as well. I talked to a couple bookmakers out here. The way they power rank these teams, they've got Washington power ranked in the bottom 10. No surprise. Out of 32 teams for Washington to be a bottom 10, not the end of the world. But they have Washington and the Raiders as the only two teams power ranked in the bottom 10 who also have a top 10 schedule in terms of difficulty. So bad teams having tough schedules are an awful combination. Do you see any way they get past anyone in the NFC East, maybe even the Giants? No. I mean, the Giants are... Definitely the better team. Obviously, to get Saquon back, saw them get into the playoffs. Uh, I don't know if Daniel Jones is worth what they paid him, but he's better than anything that the commanders have. And obviously, Philly's Philly with Jalen Hurts. And, you know, it looks like Dak Prescott has been on in training camp. We'll see if he's able to sustain that. And they, they have a running back depth chart, which has been a question for them. But I just think they're going to be at the bottom of that division and really at the bottom of the NFC. I just don't see a lot of optimism or reasons for optimism around that organization right now. I mean, if you're Washington and you're the new ownership group, and if you have any idea what's going on in the world of college football, you can't say it publicly, you can't do it, but you should absolutely be doing everything in your power to get the number one overall pick in the draft. And that's assuming Washington has a first-round pick. I'm assuming they do. But if you find your way, you're not going to be good this season. If you find your way to that number one overall pick, and you can take Caleb Williams from USC, or maybe it turns out to be Drake May from North Carolina, but you get one of those guys one year into the new ownership group. It sucks for Ron Rivera, but you bring in a new coaching staff. You truly start a new era, and this is probably going to be right around the time they're going to announce plans for a new stadium there as well. That's how you get this thing moving in the right direction. Philadelphia is not going anywhere right now. The Giants are probably going to be pretty good for the next few years. The Dallas Cowboys are going to be solid for the next few years. Take this time to get organized, something Washington hasn't been in over two decades. Yeah, if I'm the commanders and I'm the new ownership group, I'm having a private meeting with Greg Popovich, right? And I'm saying, listen, you got David <laughs> Robinson, you got Tim Duncan, you got Victor Wimbanyama. Somehow you found a way to get all of these generational talents. Can you help us? How do we tank? What's the best way to do it? Because you're right, <laughs> Caleb Williams is legit, has a chance to be the first two-time Heisman Trophy winner since Archie Griffin, the only uh, two-time Heisman Trophy winner. So I think that's a guy that you know you hope could fall to you if you're the Washington Commanders. I mean, you've got to be thinking about that sort of thing. You have to, especially when you're an organization that for years has struggled at the most important position. You took a swing on Carson Wentz. It didn't work out. All right, it's a nice try. You took a swing at the end of Donovan McNabb's career. It didn't work out. You've tried to sub guys in and out. You've tried to draft guys. Maybe you have something in Sam Howell. Maybe. But if you don't, 
the last thing you want to do is win six or seven games and sit there at the four, five, six pick and watch teams right above you get exactly what they need. I mean, if you're Washington, that would hopefully be the goal. But again, if you're a new owner, you're probably not going to want to go out there and go two and 15 in your first season because that's going to get you upset as well. So I don't know if you're a Washington fan. What do you think? Do you think you're rooting for a tank this year? You have to be uh, because that's the only way I think you get better going forward. Uh, And and there's a really, really talented player. I mean, Caleb Williams might have been the first guy taken this year or the guy taken right behind Bryce Young. So he's that talented. And I think he's worth it. I think this is also a message to a lot of these other teams, the Green Bay Packers, even the Chicago Bears. If you're not certain about your guy, you've got to really look at this situation in Washington and how bad this can be and the long-term implications of not having a guy. Now, I think Justin Fields is that guy, but unless you're certain, you've got to move on and gamble to get the right player at that position or you'll be in this spot. I mean, I know it's not Washington-related, but the Cardinals – of Arizona are projected to have the worst record in the NFL this year. They also own Houston's first round pick. I mean, if Arizona and Kyler Murray might not play at all this year, who knows? There's no timetable. Like the University of Utah, Cam Rising blew his knee out in the Rose Bowl. They're hoping he goes week one. Kyler Murray blew his knee out a month before Rising. No timetable on his return. I don't think we're going to see a lot of him this season. So if you're Arizona and you end up with the number one pick, what are you doing after handing out that huge contract? Are you just sitting back saying Murray's our guy and we're just going to keep trading back every year? It better be a selfish decision, I'll tell you that. See, Washington, I found a way at the end to give you something to smile about. Arizona probably (laughs) has it worse than you do. All right, MLB trade deadline came and went. Who are the winners? Who are the losers? That's next. He's Myron Metcalf. I'm Joe Fornball. This is Joe and Amber on ESPN Radio. This has been the Joe and Amber podcast. You can listen to Joe and Amber live weeknights from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern. Plus, you can listen on the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, or on your smart speaker. Joe and Amber, the podcast.